Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, and general animal weirdness. And oh boy, do we have some general animal weirdness to discuss this week. Uh, we will get to that in a minute. But first, uh, I, I like to start off with a little me time uh, talk in here. And so I wanted to start my life update section by, well, there's no real better way to say it. I, I, I kind of want to flex a little bit. I'm not trying to be that guy, I promise, but I had a realization this week and it's just been really cool and I want to share it with y'all. So I created this podcast, you know, Raw Safari. It's kind of cool. Uh, I assume you agree since you're listening. I also created my show Under the Sun, also known as Sun Records Live. And this week, my schedule has been filled with both of them. I was at Greensboro on Monday at Greensboro Tuesday morning, and then in tech for Sun uh, Tuesday evening. On Wednesday, I was back in tech for Sun, and we opened with our first show of the week that evening. Thursday, I was back at Greensboro. And then uh, tomorrow, the day that this episode comes out, I'm going to be spending the morning and early afternoon at the North Carolina Zoo getting some interviews there for the podcast and hanging out. And then heading back to play my next performance of Sun uh, with guests from Greensboro Science Center in the audience. The rest of this week is a few more shows of Sun and a visit and interview at a facility that's going to be a new one for the podcast before heading home. And I don't know, man, it just it really, really hit me this week how cool it is that my whole experience this week is stuff that I've created. And um, again, I'm not trying to brag. I, okay, maybe I'm bragging a little, but I'm, I just, the, the sense of awe that I feel and the pride that I feel is, is really cool. And I kind of wanted to share that with y'all um, in part because that's true. And in part, I also just want to um, thank you all because a big part of why all of this works is all of you that are listening to this. So Thank you from the absolute bottom of my heart. It means the world to me. All right, schmaltiness out of the way. Uh, this is Rossafari Zoo News, and uh, you know you can contribute by sending me stories to rossafaripod at gmail.com or tagging me in stories at Rossafari on the socials or at Rossafaripod on TikTok. And of course, make sure that you are um, following along, hit subscribe, all those things, and uh, we'll, we'll keep it rolling. So uh, yeah, without further ado, I think it is time to get to some Zoo News. Two, three, four. Ow, there's a funky monkey. Treat kangaroo. Or a binturong. It's Zoo News. Yeah. 
All right. So uh, let's just get to this before we get to our traditional births and deaths, okay? This week, people across the United States and even in other parts of the world, though less so because uh, average IQs seem to go up at least a few points once you get out of this country, have been absolutely amazed by the report about a stingray that is going to be giving birth soon. Why? Well, because said stingray has not lived with any male stingrays in around eight years. So, when the staff at the Aquarium and Shark Lab in Hendersonville, North Carolina, realized that Charlotte, the ray in question, was pregnant, they got really excited. See, while she hasn't been around any male stingrays, Charlotte does live with two male sharks. Thus, the team decided that Charlotte had gotten pregnant after some sweet, sweet shark sex. And uh, this story has absolutely taken off, getting all kinds of attention, not only on like random websites, but on traditional media as well. Legit news outlets have run with this story. It was even featured on the Today Show. This miracle baby hybrid of a shark and a ray is going to be the first of its kind, and this is the most exciting thing to ever happen at the Aquarium and Shark Lab, or possibly in North Carolina, and maybe even in the whole world. Except for one little problem. Scientists and experts on both sharks and rays, which you would think they would have at a place called the Aquarium and Shark Lab. Like, it's actually in the damn name, people. Uh, anyway, these experts quickly came out and pointed out two very simple facts. First of all, sharks cannot get raised pregnant. Can't happen, hasn't happened, won't happen. I would say the odds of it happening are actually less than the odds of Sharknado becoming a retroactive documentary. The other thing that these experts pointed out is that rays can reproduce by parthenogenesis. That is basically a form of self-cloning in which certain species are able to give birth without a male being involved, the dream of so many human females I know, and instead reproduce asexually and create a genetic replica of themselves. Think Jango Fett and Boba Fett without the Kaminoans. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, uh, even for a science podcast, referencing a deep cut from Star Wars Episode One was probably a bit much. Anyway, after the scientific community came out and said those two simple facts, the PR team at the Aquarium and Shark Lab came out and admitted that, in their excitement, they got carried away, stating that they appreciated the scientific community coming together to explain the situation. They then instantly stopped trying to use the press from this to make their facility more popular. Right? Right? I mean, that's what any responsible facility would do. But no, of course not. This is 2024, and we should all know by now that it's impossible to have nice things. Instead, the facility doubled down, stating, and I quote, just because something has not happened or has not been documented does not make it impossible. Science is discovery. And besides, none of us know what has happened in the big ocean because we are not always there. 
Now, that is roughly one step up the PR ladder from standing crying on a playground and saying, Nuh-uh, my mom told me and you're a big liar head. So look, here's the deal. Sharks and rays cannot reproduce together. There is no reason to believe it would be possible. They are not nearly closely related enough to make it happen. And yes, some species can crossbreed, creating hybridization, and it does happen both in the wild and in human care, although breeding programs like the AZA SSPs make sure it doesn't happen there. But it's not possible with most species, and the ones that can do it are more closely related, taxonomically speaking, than sharks and rays are. Horses and donkeys, for instance, can breed, and the hybrid is what we call the mule. But horses and donkeys are the same genus and are only separated by about 2 million years of evolution. Sharks and rays have been evolving away from each other for about 300 million years, roughly the same amount of time that the ancestors of humans diverged from the ancestors of snakes. It's just not happening. I honestly don't know what I find more disturbing. This facility denying basic science, the fact that they are using this to gain followers on Facebook and get press and all that stuff, or the fact that so many journalists and major news outlets just bought the whole story, hook, line, and sinker. And and here's the thing. I know this podcast goes to a whole lot of listeners. And I bet there are some of you that are listening that heard the story and believed it and are feeling a little sad or even attacked right now. But I promise you, it's not you that I'm attacking. You don't have entire fact-checking departments. I am guessing that most of my audience is smart enough to check that they are learning from valid, trusted sources. And in this case, those sources let you down. Not everyone watching the Today Show is going to do a deep dive into shark and ray evolution or parthenogenesis or anything like it. It's a cool and cute story that you may have heard of that just isn't true. So don't feel bad if you fell for this one. As a matter of fact, later in this episode, you're going to hear a story that I fell for. This is different, but the same. Um, yeah, you're not the one who should feel bad for this if you bought into this story. The people reporting this and the facilities standing firm in the face of overwhelming evidence that they dropped the ball here. Now, those are the people who should be ashamed. But I digress. My favorite response to all of this was from a friend of the pod, Katie Prop of Penguins International, who looked at the story and just said, this is how we get shark rays, right? I, I do love shark rays, but I love a good Katie Prop joke even more. Okay, enough about this story. Let's move on to some births, shall we? And we actually have a whole lot of birth and a whole lot of death this week, so uh, I'm going to be a little bit quicker going through some of these. But uh, yeah, let's get to it. New Forest Wildlife Park has announced the birth of a giant otter pup or giant otlet. Samuni and Ibira, the parents, have been very attentive and doing a great job. 
As such, the Keeper staff has been able to leave the family alone and let them do the thing. Check out at NF Wildlife Park for adorable pics, including one of the parents carrying the baby around by its head. And speaking of otters, Potter Park Zoo has announced the birth of three North American river otter pups to experienced mother Nekeke. Congratulations to the zoo. The Philadelphia Zoo has announced the hatching of a Victoria-crowned pigeon chick. These are the largest pigeons in the world and are known for their incredible plumage. The chick is visible at the McNeil Avian Center at the zoo. Lincoln Park Zoo has announced the birth of a bush baby. A bush baby baby. A bush baby baby. Oh, baby. Sorry, can't help myself. Anyway, the mother of the youngster is named Jelly Bean, which is adorable. And the father is Zeus, which is actually also adorable when you think of how small they are. Anyway, the best part about this to me is that Jelly Bean can often be spotted transporting her bush baby baby, as they often do, by carrying it around in her mouth. Actually seems to be just a bit of a theme here this week. Our friends at the Fort Worth Zoo have announced the birth of the first mandrel baby born at their facility in nearly three decades. The baby has been named Ruby as a nod to its mother, who is named Scarlet. Scarlet is doing an awesome job raising Ruby, along with first-time father JJ and the other female in the troop as well. Now, mantlets are super adorable, and you can now see this little one at the Fort Worth Zoo. And this is not the only amazing primate birth at the zoo that has been announced this week. A baby gorilla was born at the zoo a few weeks ago, and when the pregnant mother, Sikani, exhibited signs of preeclampsia, which is a serious blood pressure condition that can occur during primate pregnancies, including human ones since we are primates and all, the zoo vets realized they had to intervene. They consulted with specialists in human medicine and decided that an emergency cesarean section would be necessary to give both mother and baby the best shot at survival. The surgery was a success and both mother and baby survived. However, Sikani has not shown any maternal instincts, so the keepers have been hand-rearing the baby and also starting to figure out which other female gorilla at the zoo would be the best candidate to be a surrogate mother. That is so much work for one baby gorilla. What an incredible story. Uh, I just love the Fort Worth Zoo so much. The first hyena cub ever born at the Sydney Zoo is here, and it is an adorable little pup. Already on display with its mother, Mahali, the little one is stealing hearts in the land down under. Congrats to the team. And then the Indianapolis Zoo has announced the birth of a new rhino calf, or rhinelet. The baby was born on Super Bowl Sunday, making it both an amazing rhino and a superb owl baby. Oof, that joke was funnier in my brain than it 
was uh, on my lips. Sorry about that. But um, actually, speaking of that, uh, according to Google Trends, searches for superb owl actually spike every year in February, which is believed to be both because of typos and because people actually search out the superb owl posts that people make around the big game every year. And there's a fun fact about owls that I somehow shoehorned into a rhino birth announcement. You're welcome. And okay, so that moves us to the deaths section. And I, I feel like we need to rename this section. And no, I'm not going to do this every week. But this is uh, this week, this is officially the Dr. Laura Shank Angel of Death section. Because I got to tell y'all, Laura is a good friend and a big supporter of the pod. She is one of my Red Panda level patrons, and I just love her and her entire family to death. She is also one of the most consistent contributors to Zoo News, sending me all kinds of articles all the time. But lately, it seems like a whole bunch of what she is sending me is just uh, the death announcements of different animals. And like, look, it helps me tremendously. But also, um, wow, there are just there's a lot of of animals that died this week. So uh, I'm grateful to Laura, but also have to pick on her a little bit by officially calling her my angel of death, and uh, dedicating this section to her, though not in a, like, I hope you die way. Don't, don't die, Laura. Honestly, it'll just make Zoo News a lot harder for me. Okay, let, let's get to these. The Pittsburgh Zoo has announced the death of silverback western lowland gorilla named Marithi, the first gorilla that was born at the zoo back in the early 1990s. Now, um, Marithi had been having mobility problems and um, they thought it was probably spinal issues. And uh, they, they did try medical treatment, but um, unfortunately, at the age of 31, the gorilla went into a sudden decline this week and uh, actually passed away during um, an anesthetic procedure to help try to determine the exact cause of his symptoms. He will be sorely missed. Uh, he was just so popular at that zoo from the moment he was born there until his passing. I am not always the person who is the most moved by gorillas, but the uh, the group at the Pittsburgh Zoo is pretty amazing. And I have watched this guy run around and uh, be a parent and be a troop leader every time I visit it. It's always amazing to watch him. So uh, truly, truly going to miss seeing him the next time I'm at the Pittsburgh Zoo. And actually, that's not the only loss that the Pittsburgh Zoo has announced this week because they also announced the passing of Tsuni, a two-year-old elephant calf that lived at the zoo's International Conservation Center. Uh, when her routine blood testing came back with a positive diagnosis for EEHV, the team jumped into action despite her showing no clinical signs of the disease. However, as it often does, the disease moved too quickly for medical management, and Sunni did not survive. I feel so bad for the team at the zoo, and I'm so sick of this disease. One of my most downloaded episodes is my deep dive into EEHV with Dr. Lauren Howard of the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, and I think a big reason why is that so many people are so upset about this disease. 
I really look forward to the day that I can stop announcing deaths because of it. Sending all my love to the team at the Pittsburgh Zoo. And going back to gorillas for a second, the Buffalo Zoo has announced the sudden passing of their silverback gorilla, Koga, who died from a cardiac event. Koga was 36 years old, and while his passing was unexpected, he was a very old gorilla who had been treated for heart disease for many years. He was the leader of his troop, and the care team at the zoo will be collaborating with students from Canisius College's Animal Behavior, Ecology, and Conservation Program to observe the other troop members and make sure they are doing okay, which I think is an awesome thing to do. It's definitely a step above and beyond uh, what a lot of facilities do, which is, you know, make sure that their own people are constantly monitoring. But I love the collaborative nature of this. I, I think it's beautiful. I am so sorry to the Buffalo Zoo for this loss, but also really impressed with how they're handling it. The Idaho Falls Zoo has announced that Burton, an Aldabra tortoise, has passed away. He lived around 150 years and was known for loving the simple things in life and for being an especially popular feature of behind-the-scenes tours and keeper chats. He will be missed, but what a great long life. The Columbus Zoo has announced the passing of Joan, a beloved black bear who was eight years old. Joan was famous for keeping her keepers on their toes. She was notoriously good at rock climbing and getting into places she wasn't supposed to, which were always safe. You know, they were on habitat, but she she could uh, she could keep her keepers, uh, you know, pretty much on their toes. Unfortunately, she was recently found unable to use her hind legs. Treatment options were attempted, but none were successful. So the difficult decision to euthanize had to be made. The Toronto Zoo has announced the passing of Imic, an 11-year-old male Arctic wolf. Imic was the dominant lead in the pack and was incredibly protective of the other wolves around him. Now, way back in 2018, Imic suffered a broken leg, which was repaired surgically. While the leg didn't fully heal, uh, he did remain the dominant wolf in the pack, even with the injury, which is quite a feat. In the last few weeks of his life, though, keepers noticed both that the dominance structure of the pack seemed to be changing and that Imic was limping more. They sedated him and checked on the old injury site to find that the bone was broken again and that the area around the previous fix had become infected. The team started to work on a treatment plan, but he passed away before they could finalize it. He will be sorely missed. All right, we'll be back after this quick break. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it. We uh, actually lost a couple animals this week that have appeared on the podcast, uh, including uh, the next two. 
So Lehigh Valley Zoo has announced the passing of Douglas, a 32-year-old African gray parrot. Douglas was an amazing ambassador animal, and if you remember my ambassador animal episode at the zoo, you'll remember him making sure that he got plenty of airtime. The passing was unexpected, as African gray parrots live around 20 years in the wild, but have an average lifespan of 40-plus years in human care, with some living into their 60s. Douglas had been living at the zoo for 14 years at the time of his passing, and his wonderful voice will be sorely missed at the Lehigh Valley Zoo. And our friends at Roger Williams Park Zoo have announced the passing of Becca, one of the cheetahs at the zoo. Becca battled gastritis, which is actually common amongst cheetahs. The condition continued to worsen despite all kinds of interventions, including medical procedures, changes in diets, all kinds of stuff. And eventually it just became too much for her, so the decision was made to humanely euthanize her. Becca featured on one of my early episodes of Raw Safari from the Roger Williams Park Zoo, and her beauty and majesty was undeniable. Meeting her and her sisters, hearing her little purrs, and just watching her exist from only a few feet away from me, ah, it really meant the world to me. I am grateful for that time and thankful for relationships like the one I have with the team at Roger Williams Park Zoo. Reed Park Zoo has announced the loss of a Grevy's zebra foal named Tikiti Maji. A gust of wind startled Tikiti's mother, Anna, causing her to run to a different area of the exhibit. Tikiti ran with her, but did not stop when Anna did and ran into the wood-paneled fence of the exhibit, dying instantly from an injured neck. This loss is especially challenging for the team, as they did a lot of work on the exhibit to prepare for the birth, including making barriers safer and more visible. This is actually the second foal of Anna's to die in the last few years, and the third to die in the last 10 years at the zoo, which is why those changes had been made. The zoo has vowed to work with outside consultants to try to prevent this from happening again. Zoo Knoxville also lost a young zebra this week as three-year-old Mosi, a Hartman's Mountain zebra, was fatally injured while running in an off-exhibit corral with another herdmate. I love the team at Zoo Knoxville and am so sad to hear about this. And, you know, it honestly seems like I've reported on a lot of zebras dying recently because of being startled and running, so... I hope that the zoos that have experienced this are collaborating with experts and each other and the SSPs uh, to, you know, try to prevent these sad deaths in the future. Because I know how devastated these keepers are to lose these animals. Zoo Montana has announced the passing of OP, the Canada Lynx. He was just shy of his 15th birthday. And... In case you were wondering, OP was short for Optimus Prime, like the Transformer. He will be sorely missed. All right, we only have two more here. The Pueblo Zoo has announced the passing of Toby, the North American porcupine. Toby developed a bladder disease, which progressed beyond the ability to medically manage it, so the decision was made to humanely euthanize him. Toby was known for doing a little dance, which his fans loved watching. Living to just shy of his 14th birthday, Toby's old age was a testament to the amazing care that he received, sending all the love to the team at the Pueblo Zoo. 
And the Jacksonville Zoo has announced the decision to humanely euthanize Spock, a half-human, half-Vulcan who was known for his logical... Oh, no, wait, that's a different Spock. Sorry, got to get some humor in this section. Anyway, this Spock was a 22-year-old reticulated giraffe. Sadly, age-related diseases caught up with her, and as her quality of life would not have been great because of them, the tough but correct decision was made. She had a great long life and will be sorely missed. And that brings us to our regular Zoo News for the week, although at this point, we're almost at what should be the end of the episode time-wise. So thank you for that, Angel of Death, Dr. Lara Shank. Okay, so our first normal Zoo News story is a weird trend that is going around now. Um, I've mentioned this once or twice on the podcast already that certain zoos were announcing that for some reason, uh, people were setting up what looked like cheap tickets, like a, a website to get discounted tickets to one zoo or another, and um, then they weren't real tickets. Well, it turns out that this has become a major thing. This week alone, I saw like seven or eight zoos announce that this scam was happening to their ticketing and that if you uh, want to buy tickets to the zoo, the only place to buy tickets to the zoo is through the zoo's website or at the zoo. So um, don't try to find discounted tickets to a zoo. There's this, this major scam going on right now, and a lot of zoos are getting sucked into it. So just, just avoid those things at all costs. If it looks too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Clearwater Marine Aquarium has announced a multi-year plan of expansion. They will be opening a manatee rehabilitation center this spring, which will help them accept an influx of manatees in need of critical care. Over time, they will also be bringing in a bunch of new animals to their facility, including manatees, sea lions, sharks, penguins, albino alligators, and additional dolphins, which should make the experience at the aquarium that much more impressive. The plan also includes opening a marine rescue and education center in Belize. I'm excited to see what the future holds for this incredible facility. Okay, now, I know that Valentine's Day has passed, but I really enjoyed sharing all the fun different things that zoos offered up, and I have to tell you what the Fort Worth Zoo came up with so that you can be on the lookout for it next year. I'm so sad that I missed this before the actual day. So, along with facilities offering the name a roach type options, the Fort Worth Zoo accepted donations that allowed you to dedicate a pound of animal poop to be composted in honor of your ex. I have nothing to add to this. It is a perfect story already. 10 out of 10, no notes. Our friends at VINS, the Vermont Institute of Natural Science, announced an incredible feat. They were able to release a golden eagle that was rehabilitated at the facility. The bird had issues related to the amount of lead found in the food it had been consuming, and after treatment, he was ready to be taken to the flight cage for exercise. The eagle is actually part of a research project based in Quebec and has been carrying a GPS backpack as part of the research, one that he has been flying comfortably with for 10 years. 
the team was able to connect with people involved in the project and able to release the eagle back into the wild with the backpack still on so the research can continue. I just love the team at Vins so much. The Denver Zoo has announced a huge expansion that I'm really excited about. Now, the zoo itself is limited to an 80-acre footprint since it is in an urban area in which expansion is not possible, at least not in the city. But they have circumvented that issue by purchasing a 570 acres large plot of land in Weld County, Colorado, where they will be creating the Lembke Family Preserve, a place to evolve their animal care and conservation breeding practices. The Denver Zoo is actually um, going to be joining the St. Louis Zoo here as the two facilities that will be opening up these secondary sites in coming years in areas outside of their home cities since they are in the urban centers of the cities. I am so excited to see what both the Denver Zoo and the St. Louis Zoo do with these new facilities. So now we get to uh, harp on an issue I frequently harp on, but uh, the Sacramento Zoo has announced the arrival of a three-year-old African lion. However, the arrival has been a bit controversial because the zoo decided to partner with the basketball team in the area, the Sacramento Kings, for the announcement, which included renaming the lion after the Sacramento Kings mascot. Now, That can be bad enough on its own, but the Sacramento Kings mascot is named Slamson. Get it like Samson, but then slam for a slam dunk. And so the zoo announced that their lion is named Slamson 2. Yeah. The announcement was made on social media, but as I have seen a lot recently and have talked about both on here and with keepers and PR people at facilities all around the U.S., there was a lot of pushback on the new name. Social media commenters were regular asking why there was a name change, what his name was before, just mocking the name Slamson as inappropriate for an actual living lion as opposed to a silly mascot. And even people who recognized the lion from his previous facility were weighing in, telling the zoo what his correct name was and asking them why they changed it. Now, I want to be fair here. It was by no means all of the commenters who were complaining, but it was a lot of them. And this is just the most recent in a long series of name changes I've seen announced on social media that have been met with complaints. Now, I know that there are often financial incentives involved. Donors will pay big money to name an animal. But I I really think this is a practice that zoos need to examine more thoroughly. It's like we talked about with Maxine uh, for our Rasafari After Dark episode. Names create empathy. And changing names and and taking those away makes it all seem fake. And... um, Fake empathy is is not really what we're going for here. Slamson 2. Y'all, I can't. And last but not least in Zoo News this week, I am always in awe of the amazing veterinary work done at zoos. And the Houston Zoo has a really cool story I wanted to share with y'all. Recently, a Peruvian jumping stick 
which is a type of bug, a type of grasshopper, not a not not like a thing that you know, a stick like from a tree. Uh, anyway, the Peruvian jumping stick completed a molt, but seemed to have a weakened area around what we would consider its neck. The vet team worked to come up with a very small brace to support the area until it was strong enough for the bug to hold its neck up. An improvised neck brace for a grasshopper. I love it. And that brings us to... It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, now, right now, then now it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the park on other news. All right, y'all. So we're skipping over conservation news this week. I apologize, but zoo news went really, really long. And um, in full transparency, this week that I mentioned, how awesome it's been, has also been absolutely crazy, as you can imagine. Uh, it's currently 1.30 in the morning on Friday. This should have dropped an hour and a half ago, but I'm still recording it. And I have to be up at 6 to head to the North Carolina Zoo. So, um, yeah, there were two things that I wanted to touch on in other news really quickly, though. First of all, uh, the Puppy Bowl ran on Sunday, uh, before, during, and after, actually, the Super Bowl. And if you've never watched the Puppy Bowl, find it. Find it online. You can stream it. It's adorable. It's puppies playing football. I mean, they're not really playing football, but um, they're playing with toys, and uh, the the team treats it like a football game. It's honestly magical. Um, and and I I had a dog that I fell in love with, and uh, there there was also a two legged dog, and and uh, the the dog was best friends with a horse. I mean, there's just a lot to see in this thing. So. I highly recommend that you check out The Puppy Bowl. And then last but not least, if, if you remember back in the beginning, I was talking about how, how sometimes you can, can fall for things that, that you've seen that and it makes sense. And um, this isn't exactly like current news, but I just discovered it, so I need to share it with y'all. For many, many years, I have been told uh, by, by people in the zoo field, by people that work with birds, uh, by, by randos, that the name Canada Goose is not based on anything to do with the country of Canada, but is uh, the name is based on the fact that John Canada was the ornithologist who figured out that they were a like different species of goose from other geese and as such uh, named the species after himself. Turns out there is no evidence of this like anywhere. There's actually no evidence that there was ever an ornithologist named John Canada. And um, I, I found this out this week because I was telling people about the, the name Canada Goose being named after an ornithologist, and um, they didn't believe me. And so I looked it up, and the way I looked it up, I found a story right away that, that confirmed it, and I, I posted the link quick. Uh, and then it was pointed out to me that the link I posted was about the only link anywhere that ever claims that that is real. And uh, apparently I just, I believed this thing. But I know this is a prevalent belief amongst people because I, um, I've i heard this from so many people, so many people that work with animals, that work with birds, like I said. So uh, if you have ever heard this rumor, possibly from me, have I even said it on this podcast? I don't know. I talk a lot on this podcast, y'all. But uh, it is not true. 
And that that is is definitely zoo news worthy. So uh, I wanted to share that with y'all. And then I do have one final thing here for other news. I don't usually credit who sent in what individual story or whatever because, you know, there well, there are lots of reasons. Sometimes people send multiple stories. Sometimes multiple people send stories, whatever. But uh, I'm literally just going to read this to you as it was sent to me because our good friend Elizabeth Charles over in the UK uh, sent me this article and wrote it up, and it's it's better than what I could say about it. So um, I'm just going to credit this entire next paragraph to uh, Elizabeth Charles. And under general animal weirdness, an alligator snapping turtle was recovered from a lake in Cumbria, presumably released by some idiot who bought it as a baby turtle and, once it got bigger, decided that they'd like to keep their fingers and thought they'd just dump it in a lake with no regard for either the turtle or the other things living in the lake. Fortunately, it's been rescued before it grew to its full adult size and became some sort of local cryptid. That's some good writing, Elizabeth. Yo, if y'all want to, like, write things up and make it good enough to be on the podcast without me having to script stuff, I am here for it. (laughs) Thank you so much for that, Elizabeth. And that brings us to... So it is February, which is National Bird Feeding Month, International Hoof Care Month, Fishing Cat February, and Adopt a Rescue Rabbit Month. Then for your individual days, we've got February 17th, which is World Pangolin Day. The 18th is Rakali Awareness Day, which seems extra important since I bet most people are not aware of what a Rakali is. Uh, I had to look it up. It's it's uh, an Australian kind of ottery looking thing. So now you can be aware of that on the 18th. And then the 20th is Love Your Pet Day, which in our household is known as Every Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. And there you have it, folks. This exhausted boy is going to get this uploaded and get the heck to bed so that he can then get the heck to the North Carolina Zoo, waking up in roughly four hours. You're welcome. I'd like to say thank you to my Red Panda level patrons, Dr. Laura Shank, Dr. Stephen Williamson, Barbara Bennett, and Jenny Owens. And I'd also like to thank everyone who contributed this week. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley-Croninger, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Kristen Khalil, Dr. Laura Shank, Emily Rockbuck, Anna Yoshioka, that's a new one, excited about that, Matt Patford, Jacob Zinn, Katie Prop. Sam Evans, Crystal Chapman, Liz Dunleavy, Miles Rossi. Yes, that's right. My own son contributed when we were watching the Puppy Bowl together, which he insisted that we watch, by the way, and told me that I should talk about it on here, especially the two-legged dog, which was really cool. Jay Meredith, Mike Sweeney, another new contributor, Ashley Vulkins, Elizabeth Charles, yes... Ali Malensky, and Kay Malensky did not contribute a story this week, but that's because she got married this week. Congratulations to Kay and the entire The Malenskys family. 
Although now I have to wonder, is she going to change her last name? Is this song going away? What's going to happen? Eh, honestly, I'm too tired to care right now. All right, I'll be back on Tuesday with a new interview episode, and then we'll see you back here on Friday for a new Zoo News episode. And until those hit, remember, friends, the words newsy credits backwards are Stiderkus1. The Ross Safari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Ross Safari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Ross Safari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo. Already on display, which, uh, the bloop.